you would please remain standing and would like to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Second Thess- Thessalonians, chapter one. Sermon text for today will be Second Thessalonians one eleven and twelve. I'm going to read verses three through twelve for context. Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter one, <clears throat> starting at verse three. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, We always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Father, thank you for bringing us here today. In your providence, God, that there is no one here listening, God, who is not under your ordained plans that we would be here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give truth and then you illuminate illuminate it for us. Would you open our eyes today? Would you help both the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word be a work of faith? That we would trust you in your power and in your grace that you would speak, that you would do a work in us, or we come humbly. Pray that you would remove distraction from our hearts and minds in this room, God, such that our focus would be on you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being a a worthy and perfect Savior, worthy of preaching, proclaiming to all the world, and worthy of listening attently to now. We pray this because of your grace your saving work, because you are a God of power and glory. In your name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. I'm Pastor Steve, one of three pastors here at Piney Ridge Church. It's my privilege to bring this message to you today from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. If you are actively engaged in a church, then before very long, someone is going to ask you to pray for them. And how will you respond? First of all, a little teaching just to start. I would, I would argue that the best way to respond when someone asks you to pray is to, if it's, if it's possible, right then, stop and pray out loud with them. Rather than, 
It's not, I'm not saying you're wrong or sinful if you say, I'll pray for you. And sometimes that's all you can do. But if you have an opportunity, I encourage you to stop and pray with them. If someone texts you and said, please, say, please pray for me, I would argue that it's more comforting to them to actually write out what you're praying for them. Write out a prayer rather than to just say, I'm praying for you. So that's an encouragement for you this morning. But the question is, when you pray for them, what are you going to say? How do you respond to this request? How should you pray for them? If they have a specific request, it may seem like a slam dunk. Well, you just pray for that, right? Well, if you think about it, that's not necessarily all there is to it. Because what if they ask you to pray for uh, Bob to get a job at GM and God, it's not his will, it's not his plan for Bob? What if they're asking you to pray for uh, someone that they love that's sick? And what if it's God's will that they not get healed of that, at least not right away? What if God wants them to remain in that trial longer? You don't know the answers to those questions. Because God is God, and you are not God. God is all-wise. He knows all that His children need. God is all-powerful and able to do anything that He desires. So then considering that you are not God and you are not all-wise and therefore you often do not know what's best for that particular person at that particular time, how should you pray for them? That's the question we're going to look at this morning as we look at the 11th and 12th verses of 2 Thessalonians 1. And I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We'll keep pointing back to different parts of the passage this morning. And in this passage, we're going to see that Paul says he always prays for the Thessalonian believers, always. And then he tells them what he's praying, he tells them why he's praying it, and he tells them what power is behind that prayer. And we can look at Paul's description of his prayers for the Thessalonians, and we can draw out some principles for praying for ourselves and for each other. My plan is to work pretty much straight through these two verses in a linear fashion this morning. So if you're taking notes, here's an outline that you can, a template that you can kind of have for this. We're going to start by looking at how Paul always prays for the Thessalonians. And then we will look at the content of his prayers, the climactic goal of his prayers, and the confidence of his prayers. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will enlighten your minds and teach you how you can effectively pray for others in the church, and that the Holy Spirit will impassion your hearts so that Piney Ridge Church will grow in the frequency of its praying, in the fervency of its praying, and in godly focus on prayer. So we'll start this morning looking as Paul says, he always prays for the Thessalonians. Now, these two verses at the end of chapter 1 act as a summary 
for the rest of, of what Paul has said in chapter 1. And so we need to be careful not to just take them out of context. I want, to no, I want you to notice a few things. I want you to notice how verses 3 and 11 are parallels of each other. I want you to notice how up on the screen it says that uh, verse 3 says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you. And he starts verse 11 with, To this end we always pray for you. And then as we look at the rest of those verses, notice that Paul says we ought to give thanks to God for the fruit that we see in you. And verse 11 is, we ought to always pray for you that God will continue working in you to continue to bear that fruit. So there's a definite parallel there between verses 3 and 11. There's another parallel between the first part of verse 10 and the first part of verse 12. In verse 10, where it says, when Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. In verse 12a, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Both of those verses talking about Jesus being glorified and us being glorified in him as the purpose statement for what has come before. This is the ultimate goal. And so today's passage is pulling together some key points of what Paul's already said in the letter. Now, if we look at the beginning of verse 11, it says, to this end. Well, I don't know about you, that makes me curious, right? It makes me want to look back and see what is the end that Paul's talking about. Well, he's been talking about the second coming of Jesus, the time when Jesus returns to earth and how God will grant relief to believers through his acts of justice and mercy on their behalf, and through condemnation of his enemies. And the result is that Jesus will be glorified in his saints, and they'll marvel at him. Now, as Pastor Jason pointed out last week, that is being partially fulfilled today in this age in the church as believers are sanctified as they're becoming more like Christ, having more of the image of Christ in them, then Jesus is glorified in that. Jesus is most glorified in his people when they respond to him by joyfully marveling at him, by gladly obeying his commands, and humbly submitting to his lordship. Jesus should be the focus of our lives, whether life is easy or life is hard. And that's the end, Paul says. It's to that end that he ought to always pray for the Thessalonians. And Piney Ridge Church, I exert you to follow Paul's example. You ought always to pray for each other. Be sure to regularly pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family, and your friends, but also pray for the people in the church. Pray for the people in your piney family. Pray for people in your discipleship group. Pray for people that you see and talk to on Sunday morning. Let's be a church that prays regularly for each other in obedience to the Word of God. Fit it into your schedule. If you have a weekly prayer schedule, find a place in there to say, I'm going to pray for the people in our church and pray for specific people. Like Paul, we ought always to pray 
for the church. But how should we pray? How can we pray for our fellow believers, whether we know about specific needs or not? Well, let's look and see how Paul prays for the Thessalonians. Let's move on in verse 11 and look at the content of his prayers. Notice that Paul doesn't ask God to relieve the suffering and the persecution and the affliction of the Thessalonians. Rather, Paul prays that God will make them worthy of their calling. Now, let's camp out on that word make for just a second. And that actually could be translated in one of two ways. And as I studied both ways that it could be translated, it, it, it seems to resonate with the rest of first, both, both ways seem to resonate with the rest of first Thessalonians one, or Second Thessalonians 1, the rest of Second Thessalonians as a whole, and with Scripture as a whole. And so we want to look, let's look at both ways that that could be translated, because maybe, just maybe, Paul was intentionally ambiguous there and meant for us to ponder that and, and think, well, that could be two different ways. In the New International Version, they have one way of, of, of translating it, which is to use the word count instead of make. So if you look at that verse, it would say, praying that our God will, make, will count you worthy of His calling with an eye toward the last day when we stand before Jesus at the judgment. That would therefore be a prayer that God would cause those believers to persevere in their faith until the end of their lives. It would be somewhat like the confident statement that Paul makes in Philippians 1.6 where he says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It's a prayer that they will continue on the road of sanctification day after day, and as I said, to the end of their lives, so that they would be counted worthy of a calling. ESV, of course, as we saw, translates it, make. Praying that God would make you worthy of your calling, and that focuses on the idea that it's God who works in us and makes us worthy. It is the power of God that, from the beginning to the end, the power of God that calls, the power of God that justifies, the power of God that sanctifies, the power of God that will glorify us on that last day. And so the focus there is on God and His power. And I find that, I find that to be encouraging, that it doesn't depend on me, I find it encouraging that God works in me, in my desires, in my heart, and my will to change it, and then empowers me to be obedient. And the rest of verse 11 talks about how God does that. So let's look at verse 11 again. Paul always prays for the Thessalonians that God will resolve for good will fulfill every resolve for good, and that God will fulfill every work of faith. I find that to be encouraging as well, because I don't know about you, but in my own strength, I have difficulty fulfilling my resolves for good. I make a resolution that I'm going to do something, and I do it really well for a week or two or three, and then I kind of, I lose out. 
But praise God, He will fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. I don't have the faith to complete very many works of faith on my own power. In fact, I have no ability to do anything in my own power of any spiritual and eternal significance. So thank God that He works in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. Now, since we have a lot of kids in here, I want to talk to the kids for a minute. Have you ever promised your parents that you would do something and then you didn't do it? When I was, when I was about four, five, or six, that age, every Sunday my parents would say, now we want you to be good today in church. And I would promise that I was going to be good. And guess what? Almost every Sunday, I would be okay for a while, but then sometime in the service, it would come into my mind, because I'm such a funny guy, that I should say something that I thought was funny. And I would say it way too loudly, and usually at an inappropriate time, like in the middle of a prayer. Or afterward, I would be tempted to start running around with other kids playing tag or whatnot in the church building. I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. And I would end up suffering the consequences. Has that happened to you? Well, kids, here's the good news. No. I heard somebody say no. <laughs> that parent probably needs to talk about lying today. Well, kids, let me tell you, there's a promise in the Bible that if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that He will give you the Holy Spirit to help you. And what happens is that God begins to work inside of you to make you want to always do what your parents say you should do, to always, more importantly, do what God says you should do. But you remember from my story, that didn't always work out so well, did it? I wanted to be good until I wanted to do something else. So God doesn't just leave us there, but He gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us. In other words, to give us the ability to obey Him. And that's what Paul is praying here. Let me give you another example. This is from when I was older. God had to work for a long time in me to change my heart, to want to obey Him. And one of my big struggles was with my anger. And I would just vent sometimes, especially at referees and umpires but also in meetings at school. Because I learned, listen to this, I learned that I could sometimes control a situation, I thought, with my anger. And I can make the outcome be what I wanted it to be. I could get my way by blustering about. And God, through the preaching of His Word and through the reading of Scripture, began to convict me of that. 
And it began to change my heart to want to have self-control. But guess what? There was still a big gap between wanting and doing. And for me, it took many years of God working on me, many years of promising, oh, I'm, I'm going to be self-controlled, and then messing up and having to confess sin and come before God. But slowly, God began to change me, not just in my will and my desire, but in my ability to have self-control, because self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And slowly I began to recognize when that anger was rising in me. And, and I learned that what I should do at that point is stop and pray and ask God for help. And then I had to do what John Piper calls act the miracle. I had to go into that situation and confront that situation, trusting that God was going to do what he said he would do. Believing that he would work in me to have self-control and believing that he would work in that situation, work it out for my good without me trying to control it. And I praise God for that. I'm not a finished product. I still mess up sometimes. But I thank God for what he's doing in my life. And I give praise to him today and I testify before you all that it is the power of God and nothing of me that's doing it. That's what Paul is praying for God to do in the Thessalonian believers. And it's one of the ways that all of you can pray for yourselves and for each other. Ask God to complete the good work He's begun in you and in your spouse and children and, and church members, your family, your friends. Pray that He'll work in all of us to both will and to do his good pleasure. Pray that he will fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. When you do that, you know what you're doing? You're praying the scriptures. And remember I said sometimes we don't know what the will of God is. That's the secret will of God. But there is the revealed will of God, and it is the word of God, and when you pray scriptures, you are praying according to the will of God. And he delights to hear it. He delights to hear it, and he answers it. Now, in all of this, don't hear me saying something that I'm not saying. I am not saying that it is wrong to pray about things in this life. It is not wrong to ask for healing. It is not wrong to ask God to provide for you and your family. It's not wrong to ask for God to heal a relationship. It's not wrong to ask Him to protect you. And the countless many other things that we face in our lives, God cares about those things. Jesus said that a little bird can't fall out of a tree without God knowing about it. How much more does He care for you, His children? God cares about the things in your life, and He wants you to entrust those things to Him through prayer, and then not be anxious about it. 
But God always says that we should be seeking treasure in heaven, right? And you should be seeking that for each other. And let me tell you something. When you have a loved one that's ill, for example, and I know what's in your heart, you want your loved one to be healed. You don't want them to die. But they are going to die someday. You're like, yeah, but I don't want them to die now. That's right. That's good. That's, that's your natural response. And, and there's nothing wrong with that emotion. But I want to encourage you to walk by faith and not by sight. By which I mean, I want you to encourage you to have your eyes focused on eternal things. Because it's much more important for that loved one to persevere patiently through the trial, even if God's going to end it by healing. It's much more important that your loved one be strong in the faith. Or maybe they're not a believer. It's much more important for them to come to know Christ than it is for them to be healed. Because that's eternal. And this life is transitory. It's temporary. It's not wrong to pray about things in this world. But listen, it's more important to pray about things of eternal significance. And so, Piney Ridge Church, I exhort you to pray for yourselves and for each other, for people in the church, that their faith will be strengthened, that they will walk with Christ, that they will live their lives in a manner worthy of His calling. They will persevere to the end and stand before Him one day and be counted worthy. Pray prayers that affect eternity. Well, we've seen the content of Paul's prayers. Let's now look at the climactic goal or the purpose of Paul's prayer. Look at verse 12. Paul says he prays with the ultimate goal that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in the Thessalonian believers and that they will be glorified in him. As I said earlier, Jesus is glorified today when we gladly obey him and submit to his lordship. As believers, we're being progressively sanctified, that is, as God works in his children to fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith, Jesus is glorified. But when he returns... When faith becomes sight for God's people, they will be counted worthy of their calling. And they will see that every, you will see that every resolve for good and every work of faith has been completely fulfilled on that day. And you will stand before your Savior in your glorified resurrection bodies completely free of sin, completely free of the effects of sin, and you will marvel at Jesus, praising the glory of His grace. But not only that, God's children will receive reward from God 
They will be vindicated for the faith that they have had throughout their lives. They will be counted worthy because they've persevered through every trial by the power of God. And they will rejoice because they see God's justice meted out to those who have afflicted them. No longer suffering the shame of persecution, God's people, rather, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.7, will have their faith proven genuine, and they will receive glory and praise and honor. This is the climactic goal that Paul has in mind as he prays for the Thessalonians. And once again, we need to take our cue, as I said a few minutes ago, we need to take our cue from Paul and pray with that same focus on eternal things. Have our minds set on the time. If we're praying for a, heal, for a loved one who's ill, let's remember that they will one day be totally healed. Whether God heals them in this life or not, they will have glorified bodies that won't be debilitated by age, that won't be sick, that won't have pain. They'll live in the peak of health for all eternity. Let's keep that in mind and keep that focus. It's wonderful to know the content of Paul's prayer and to know the climactic goal of Paul's prayers, but they wouldn't be worth hot air even if it wasn't for Paul's confident confidence in the power of God behind his prayers. Paul knows to whom he prays. Paul makes clear what that power is at the end of both verse 11 and verse 12. Notice in verse 11, at the end, it's God's power that fulfills every resolve for good and every work of faith. In Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, God says to his people, I will give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who's going to do it? You? You can talk in class. Who's going to do it? God. God puts a new heart in us and puts his spirit in us that we will obey his statutes, and walk in his ways. Again, as Paul says in Philippians, it is God who works in us to both will and to do his good pleasure. And then in verse 12, Paul says that all of this that has happened from the beginning to the end is a result and is caused by the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God that called us out of darkness. It's the grace of God who said to a spiritual zombie named Steve Hopped, 
live, who birthed new life in him. And the same is true for everybody in here who's a follower of Christ. It is God who called you out of darkness and transferred you into his kingdom of life. It's God who planted new life in you and enabled you to respond in faith. It is God who sanctifies you, and it's his grace that sanctifies you, the power of his grace. And it's the power of his grace that will one day raise you up out of the earth and cause you to to live forever in glorified, sinless perfection. So when you pray, remember to whom you are praying. These aren't hopes that we send out to the universe. These are prayers to the powerful creator and sustainer of the whole universe. Pray powerful prayers because you're praying to a powerful God. Piney Ridge Church, in light of this praiseworthy grace, I exhort you to imitate the apostle. Pray always for yourself, your family, your friends, and your fellow church members. Pray that God will make them worthy of their calling by fulfilling every resolve for good and every work of faith. Pray these things for the purpose that they will be counted worthy of their calling on the day of judgment, that the Lord Jesus will be glorified in them and that they will be glorified in him. And pray with confidence knowing that you are praying to the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You're praying to the only God, your Savior, through Jesus Christ, your Lord, who is worthy of all glory and all majesty and all dominion and all authority before all time and forever and ever. I'm going to invite you now to the Lord's table to take communion. At Piney Ridge Church, we take communion by exiting our rows to the left. Everybody exits to the left, coming to the front, picking up the elements of communion. If you need gluten-free, it's down here on the front on the left. Then we return on the right, so exit the left, return on the right to your seats. And there you may pray silently. Or you may pray with your family, or if you have friends around you that you would like to pray with. Parents, this is a good time to take a minute or two to explain to your kids again what the juice and the bread represent. And then when you're ready, prayerfully and joyfully partake of communion in your seats. Communion is open to anyone who is trusting in all that Jesus Christ has done for the forgiveness of your sin and for, the, from, for salvation from the wrath of God, and who's been baptized in a church in affirmation of that profession of faith and as a testimony that they are followers of Christ. If that's not you, I ask you to stay in your seats and pray. And if you're not a follower of Christ, ask him, to 
reveal to you the glory of his gospel or come to the back and talk to me and, and we'll talk about the gospel or grab one of the other pastors or any church member for that matter afterwards or fill out a connection card and say, I'd like to know more about the gospel and we'll get in touch with you. If you're a follower of Christ but you haven't been baptized and if you would like to talk about baptism, again, you can talk to me in the back or you can talk to one of the pastors afterwards or fill out a connection card and say, hey, I'd like to meet with you about baptism. And if you would like to pray with, with me about anything before you take communion, I'll be in the back and Jason is over here on your right on the aisle and, and he would be glad to pray with you as well. One final word before you come. I encourage you to come and take communion with joyful gratitude for all that Jesus Christ has done for you and with joyful gratitude for all he is doing in you now and all he will do for you, making you worthy of your calling and counting you worthy of your calling. And I want you also to come resolving to pray regularly for the church. Pray big, scriptural, Christ-exalting, eternity-affecting prayers for them and for yourself. Because that's a good resolve. And that's a work of faith. You may come when you're ready.